0: So we're going to keep going now into the um, third week of Advent. We are making room for God in Advent. That's what we're doing this season. And you know, this is a season of preparation, right? Never, no other season has this kind of preparation. Some of you started even long before Thanksgiving, and we're putting up your Christmas trees and all that sort of stuff. I don't agree with that, by the way. You know, it starts after Thanksgiving, um, but uh, that's okay. Uh, even so, we still do a lot of preparation for Christmas, unlike Easter, unlike even birthdays. We just do so much to prepare. Um, I had a good friend whose mom used to clear out all the bookshelves in her house. She'd pack up all the boxes and then put Christmas knickknacks and decorations on every single shelf. This was how she decorated for Christmas. And she had Christmas toilet paper, which I had never seen before. <laughs> and I've never seen since. But, um, you know, there, so... So some of us go way over the top with preparations, right? Um, and some of us do very little. You know, we just say, you know, hey, it's just a day. Um, we don't even know that Jesus was really born on this day. So we just, you know, let's just move on. Let's just keep it low-key. And there's listen, there's a lot of good reasons to keep it low-key, to save some money, um, not give people presents that they don't need. Um, to keep the focus more spiritual. So I, you know, I just want to say, whether you're a, a way-out celebrator or kind of a real low-key celebrator, that's okay. You don't have to feel Christmassy this year. You don't have to have it all put together. And But what I want to say to you today is that God is a celebratory God. He likes to celebrate. He likes to celebrate the important things in the important ways. And he's also all about preparations. If you look in the Bible, um, you can see that God likes making a big deal about upcoming events. There's lots of festivals and celebrations in the Bible. There's music and dancing. Um, there's there's um, offerings. There's worship. Um, scripture even says that God dances over you. So that's how much he loves you and loves to celebrate you, and he loves it when you celebrate him. He loves that when we do that. And so you could, pre- you could argue that the entire Bible up until this point that we're looking at Jesus' birth, the entire Bible is God preparing for Christmas. From the calling of Abraham, to the setting up of the people of Israel, to the law being handed down, to to the the kings and the prophets, all of that is pointing to the coming of Jesus in this little manger. This Christmas story, the whole thing is preparation. God loves to prepare. He's about preparations. This simple Christmas story involved a lot of preparation on God's part. And so our our Advent series is about making room in Advent for Jesus, Um, and Whether or not we are hanging a lot of Christmas lights and buying presents or not, um, are we preparing our hearts for Jesus? Are we preparing our hearts to celebrate his birth? Are we preparing our hearts for his kingdom to come in our lives? This is really what Advent and Christmas is about. It's not about the external preparations, but it's the turning of our heart internally to God and to recognize what he did when he came as this little baby, how important that is to every one of us, amen? So when this happens, uh, we're going to be talking today about making room for the kingdom, because what happened when the birth of this child occurred, it was the culmination of many centuries of history where God would say, I'm going to bring the kingdom now on earth through Jesus. And so this is the preparation that we're going to be talking about today. How can we make room for the kingdom? And in making room for the kingdom, we know, first of all, that Isaiah predicted it. So going way back, and this is the verse that Andy somehow pulled out, God gave him this morning, um, and I said, that's what I'm preaching on today. Isaiah 40. He prepared the way for the one who would be coming to speak about Jesus, is Isaiah 40, uh, verses 3 to 5. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Who's that voice? If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Zechariah. And Zechariah was an old man who went into the temple, and the angel appeared to him and said, You and your wife are going to have a baby. Even though you're very old, um, you're going to have a baby. It was John the Baptist, right? He's the one. So, this is who Isaiah is predicting here. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rough, rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this is like a gong that God is sending out. He's saying this event is such a big deal that I'm going to announce the coming of the person who's going to announce the coming of the person. <laughs> that's how big a deal this is. I'm announcing the guy who's going to be announcing the, the guy with a capital G that's coming uh, on earth and this person's going to change the world. And what this announcing is all about is the coming of the kingdom. If you look at Jesus, when he started his ministry, what did he keep saying over and over again? He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He showed up, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is what the kingdom is going to look like, according to Isaiah 40. Valleys raised up, mountains made low, crooked places straight, rugged places a plain. God is coming to sort out things that are not right. He's coming to make smooth things that are crooked and rough. He's coming to right wrongs and to bring peace. That's shalom. And shalom is a Hebrew word that means peace. It means making things right. It means wholeness and restoration and well-being for all people. This is what Jesus meant when he said, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom is here. This is what we're preparing our hearts for, the coming of the kingdom. So Isaiah predicted it, and then Zechariah and John announced it so uh when we look at what zechariah said remember zechariah after his encounter with the angel his wife became pregnant he was not able to speak the entire amount of her pregnancy and then suddenly at the end he got his voice and he delivered something that is usually known as zechariah's song it's in luke 1 it's a beautiful um piece of poetry really Um, but this is just a little portion of it and he's speaking about his child who was just born this is what he says and you my child will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So there's that theme again. do you see those kingdom themes again and again, saving, redeeming, forgiving, shining over the darkness and over death, Shalom. And these are the things that the Messiah brings as he ushers in the kingdom of God. Zechariah's words are making room for the kingdom to come. That's what he's making he's saying, "Make room, the kingdom is here." And then of course, John grows up. And he becomes John the Baptist, and he's in the Gospels. You can read a lot about him. He began a ministry of preaching and teaching and baptizing people. Um, And he connected what he was doing to Isaiah 40. So he knew exactly who he was um, and what he was doing. And it was not about him but about proclaiming the kingdom that would come in this baby Jesus. And I'll just read to you a passage from John. This is when the Jewish leaders were asking John, who is he? Is he Elijah? Is he the prophet? Um, the Messiah, and he said, nope, I'm not any of those things. He says, uh, he replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. So he quotes Isaiah, same passage we just talked about. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know, He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And so the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So there's John. He is announcing the kingdom by pointing again to Jesus. He's so humble. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, but he's the one that we're waiting for. So we have the the kingdom being predicted by Isaiah. We have it proclaimed by Zechariah and John, and of course now it is revealed, it's launched by Jesus when he comes onto the scene. And we have to keep in mind, when we talk about the kingdom, it's not something that just came into existence when Jesus came on earth, right? The kingdom has always existed. The kingdom is wherever God dwells, wherever he lives. And the kingdom has not only also always existed, but also has come to earth before. In the Old Testament, there's many cases and times where the Holy Spirit would come upon someone and God, the kingdom would sort of break through, like a little slice of it breaking through in the Old Testament, whether it's through Moses or through David or through Daniel. So the kingdom would break through. But Jesus is saying something different. He's saying, now the kingdom of God is here. Now. It's present And it's constant, and it's going to be permanent. It's going to stay here with you. The kingdom has come down to earth in a new way. And this is what he says, Jesus, in Matthew 4. Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness, have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of God, of heaven has come near. So here we have Jesus. He's fulfilling prophecies of years before. See the preparation of God. He, he put up the Christmas tree. He put up the lights. He made all the preparations so that when Jesus come, it would be very clear that the kingdom was here. It all culminated in the coming of this child. It all culminated in that. So what does this mean? I've been talking about the kingdom. We need to make room for the kingdom. What does that mean practically for us today? I've kind of given you lots of background, but what does it mean for us today to have the kingdom in us? Um, And what is the kingdom And honestly, I could do a whole series on that. It's a huge topic. Um, and it's actually a huge value of the, of the vineyard. We are a kingdom people in the vineyard. Uh, but I just want to touch on just a couple things Jesus said about the kingdom because it's going to help us make room. Remember, our, our goal is to make room for Jesus this season. How can we do that in a real and practical way? The first thing Jesus says is this in Mark 1, uh, 15. He says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news. So preparing our hearts for the kingdom, first of all, means repenting and believing. It means that we come to him and we realize that we um, maybe have have fallen away from him in some way. Um, It's an opportunity to ask ourselves, do I have anything, a way in which I have not honored God in my life? Maybe a way in which I have gotten so busy with other things that he's kind of slipped out of first place in my life. Or maybe I just haven't settled my mind. Do I believe this or not? And maybe I need to settle that. Do I believe? And can I walk with him? Can I start to walk with Jesus? Maybe there's ways in which we've allowed ego our pride to kind of rise up in us and create a sort of self-righteousness in us. And we think, no, that's not good. I need to repent of that. So we start with that. How might I need to repent? How can I repent and believe in Jesus? This is the good news That you and I at any time, at any place, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, what our history is, no matter what, we can come and be reconciled to God. He never says no. He never turns you away. He never says, no, you didn't do it right. He, He doesn't say, you didn't say the right words. I don't really care what words you say. Just turn to God and begin to repent and believe that he is the son of God and begin to follow him. That's, that's what we get to do. That's the good news. That's one way we can open our hearts to the kingdom, prepare our hearts, make room for the kingdom. Yes. Now, the second thing is Luke 17, where Jesus uh, says this. On being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, This coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So what this means is to prepare our hearts for the kingdom means it's going to show up among us. It's not a building. It's not a program. It's us. It's the way we interact. We should look different and act different and be different than anyone else because we know Jesus and we love each other. And this is how we show up in the world. Not judging or hating or shouting or insisting on our way, but Jesus people who love and who care and who um, right wrongs and who care for those who are in real needs, who are true worshipers of God, who are peacemakers and humble. This is how we're meant to show up in the world. And it's something that starts inside of each one of us, but then it should show up among us. So we should look differently. We should look differently. Luke 11, then Jesus says this. What else, how else do we describe the kingdom? He says, but if I drive out kingdoms by the fin- drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And in Matthew 4, he says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So preparing our hearts for the kingdom means that we expect God to move supernaturally. We expect him to move, to bring his power, his healing, his freedom and deliverance into our world. This is what we believe as vineyard people, as gate vineyard people, that we can pray for healing and deliverance, and crazy as we are, we actually believe God can do it. <laughs> we actually believe he can do it. Because he's a supernatural God, this is what the kingdom means. It means that he's moving and touching, that the kingdom is broken down in our earth, and he will do it. And we heard testimony today of a healing. A heal. God put a bus there that, I swear to you, there was never a bus, We shouldn't be surprised when Charles is up here and he gets a word that God's shown him something or someone else comes up with a word. We shouldn't be surprised when we pray for someone and they're like, wow, I feel different. Well, no kidding, because it's the Holy Spirit. He's here. He's here. And at the same time, let me just say that we don't need to demand that God show up a certain way because sometimes when you pray for me, I don't feel any different, and that's okay too. doesn't mean the Holy Spirit hasn't moved. doesn't mean he's not working. And sometimes I may, the person you pray for may not get healed, and that's also okay. And some this is how we differ a little bit theologically. And I'm going to get just a little theological for you for a second. We get a little theologically different from some other Catholic, um, charismatic, or uh, kind of word of faith strands, which say that if you didn't, the person didn't get healed, you just need to pray harder, pray better. You didn't have enough faith, or worse yet, the person didn't have enough faith, so that's why they didn't get healed. That's not. Proper kingdom theology, okay? The kingdom of God is here, but it's also not completely here. Jesus talks about the kingdom will come in its fullness when Jesus comes back. And so we know we live in a world in which people still get sick and they still die and get hurt and hard and sad things happen. But we don't let that stop us from praying that God would move. We believe and we pray and we release it to God. We say, God, you're sovereign. You're in charge. And we're just going to listen to you, and we're going to keep praying in faith that God will move. This is making room for the kingdom. Make room for something out of your expectation to happen. Make room for it. Make room for it. The third way in which Jesus talks about uh, making the kingdom is this. In Matthew 5.3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew 5.10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is a place where those who have the least voice and the least power are elevated. That's the nature of the kingdom. Throughout scripture, we see God sounds this this note over and over again that there's five kind of types of people that he particularly cares about and that he wants us to particularly care about. They're the oppressed. People who have been pushed down, who have been not given their rights. Who are the oppressed? People who live in countries whose leadership is corrupt and who are under oppression. People who are living in slavery or under persecution or under unfair practices. That's the oppressed within us, among us, and out in the world. Those suffering from racism or misogyny or anti Semitism. Those are the oppressed. And God is caring about that. He cares about the oppressed. He also cares about the poor. And we know who the poor are. And some of them are among us, right? We wonder where the next piece of food's coming on the table, how we're going to get through and pay those medical bills or whatever it is that comes up. God cares about the poor. He cares about. He also cares about the foreigner. Who's the foreigner? There are people in our country who are not from our country. That's the foreigner. And he says, I want you to care for them. It doesn't really matter. It matters from a political maybe standpoint how they get here and how many are here, but... When they're here, we're meant to love them. There are foreigners among us, and so we're meant to love them as as believers. How about the widow? Single moms, uh, divorcees, women whose spouses have died and they don't know how they're going to go on. God cares about the widows. He cares about the widows, and He cares about the orphans. Not just those who are orphaned physically, but those who are orphaned mentally and emotionally, who've grown up without the love of a parent, Uh, perhaps under abuse or distance, who kind of raise themselves. God cares about the oppressed, the poor, the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan. He cares deeply about them. Now listen, it doesn't mean that he doesn't also love the rich and the powerful and the well-to-do and the comfortable. Of course, he loves us all. He loves us all. But he knows that it is those without power or voice who need to be raised up. Those valleys need to be raised up. And he wants us to do it. He wants us, those who do have power and who do have voice, to be part of raising them up. By the way, this is not a recent thought. The church has always operated this way since it was formed way back in the first century. The church always stood out as a place where people uh, defended abandoned babies and the unborn, who put together hospitals. Hospitals were formed to help people who didn't have any health care and couldn't afford doctors. It was through the church that that was originally formed. Um, It was through the church that laws would, and, and through Christian people, that laws for Children who were working in unsafe labor conditions were changed so that they wouldn't, children wouldn't be laboring like that. It is many times Christians who have improved the living conditions in jails, who have looked for rescuing women in an abusive situation or caught in the sex trade. Um, it, is, it has been believers who have fought against slavery and fought for civil rights. This is what the people of God, who are kingdom people, should be about. And here's the thing. We're not always known for those things, are we? We're not always known for those things. Sometimes, sometimes it almost seems like we're against some of those things, which is even worse. And so we need to be kingdom people. We need to be for those people that God cares about, the oppressed, the poor, the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan. Amen? Amen. We make room for the kingdom by making room for them. And so the final question for us today is, are we making room for the kingdom of God in the way we show up in the world and in our hearts? Every Christian should ask ourselves, will I make room for God to move in my heart to show forth the kingdom in my world today? How am I helping the least of these, those without power and voice? Am I making crooked places straight and raising up those in the valleys? And in his powerful and very familiar Speech. I Have a Dream, Dr. Martin Luther King talks about the dream, right, of of black boys and girls playing with white boys and girls and there being a sense of unity and solidarity between the races in our country. And he referenced back, interestingly, in that speech to the same Isaiah passage. It's Isaiah 40 over and over again. And he says this. He says, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low, The rough places will be made a plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. He quotes that full passage, and then he goes on to explain it. He says, this is our hope. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountains of despair, a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together and pray together. And struggle together and maybe go to jail together to stand up for freedom together knowing that we'll all be free one day it's no surprise that that civil rights movement was connected to Isaiah 40 it's part of what we should be as the people of God so are we ready and Christians are we understanding that the Christmas story is no peaceful unassuming story it's actually a story of radical change of a new kingdom with a new kind of love and understanding and listening and learning between one another. It's about practical caring and authentic community in the, in the people of God and that spills over us out into the world. That's the kingdom. That's what this story is about. It's radical. It's radical. And we as the church can be part of making that a reality. Amen? Amen. Which comes down to this. Will I make room in my heart for the kingdom today? Whatever it is he calls me to do, however he wants to use my life, my talents, my voice, my abilities, my money for being the kind of person who reflects Jesus. Everywhere I go, in my family, in my workplace, in the church, outside the church. Whether we're spending a lot of time preparing and decorating or we're spending almost none at all, are we preparing our hearts for Jesus, for Jesus to have his way. Now, if you've been here these last couple of weeks, you know what I'm about to do, but for a few of you who are new today, uh, we're doing something a little different during the f- this few weeks of Advent. Um, we've had a shorter time of singing at the beginning, and we'll have a little bit more at the end, um, and, uh, but I'm allowing some time at the end of the sermon for something that we call Visio Divina, which is divine seeing. And so we're going to take a few moments, we're going to look at a, um, uh, it's, it's kind of listening for God's voice through the visual medium of art. And so we're using these art pieces of artwork from the book Making uh, Room in Advent by Beth Dickinson, who prayerfully created these pieces of artwork uh, for us to look at and to ask the Lord to speak to us through. And so uh, this one we're going to look at today is called Prepare the Way. It has Zechariah and Elizabeth in the foreground with the baby, and it has uh, um, Mary and Joseph in the, in the background. I'm going to display the painting for two minutes, and uh, allow you to just take a moment to absorb it, and just to ask God, what what might He speak to you through this artwork? What might be He saying to you? Um, see what your eye is drawn to, what you kind of think about or feel as you look at the painting. And um, it may be related to something I've been preaching on, or maybe come something completely different. That's also fine. So we're going to do that for two minutes, and then I'm going to go around and we're going to take a brief. I know we're going to run a little bit late, but I want us to take time with this because it's a special part of uh, the, the sermon or the, of the series. But to take a few minutes, I'm going to go around with the mic and have just a couple of you share what you see in the painting. And so for two minutes now, let's um, look at, prepare the way. Lord, speak to us. All right. Is so anybody that would like to share something that God either just spoke to them or just something that you impressed on by the painting? Yeah.
1: So um, what I see here is the the light in the sky. To me, that represents heaven, the Holy the Holy Spirit, God. Uh, we see, I see Mary and Joseph holding the baby, but I also see a part of the earth uh, come around and, and embrace that child as well. Hmm. So I see um, that's, that he, it represents that God, not, not that Jesus, the baby, is not only of heaven, but he's also of the earth. He's man. And we see this deadwood stump again, it was in the previous painting. And I and it I can't really tell what's going on in the center there, but I view that as it's a heart of dead wood,
0: hmm.
1: and that represents humanity, who the Christ child has come to to save.
0: Hmm. That's great, thank you. What else? Who else has got something? I'll come to you in a minute, Vicki. Let me get let me get George.
1: This actually came when you were talking about Zechariah, but. It was interesting that the angel takes Zechariah's voice, but John will be born to be the voice. Hmm. And that was just a fascinating thought that I'd never really considered.
0: That's cool. Love it. I'm gonna come around to Vicky. All right, Vicki. First of all, remember I cheated. <laughs> always get always get the description of the painting the day before, and I read the scripture. I think what what kind of worked with um, the parents of both. You had the older parents and the younger parents, yeah. and that was a very big. Um, it's like the old and the young were both new in a way that this whole thing is new with Christ coming. Hmm. Um, but I think it proved that anybody can serve in a, in a Christian way, in a, in a Christ way, like you were talking about with the kingdom, you know. Hmm, that's great. I hadn't thought of that. That's good. Or maybe one more. I forgot one more. Anybody? Hey, over here. Was there someone else? I didn't see. Oh, Okay. Well, which, which one, the husband or the wife, which one do I get? Could they be sitting any further away? No. (laughs) When I was
1: looking at it, the the kind of pocket of air where it looks like Mary and Joseph are being hidden by the clouds struck me because I keep thinking that God would have done something huge to protect Jesus from Satan's plans to kill the child. Hmm. Um, But he did really simple things like, hey, go to Egypt or um, hid hid them under clouds like that on the way to Bethlehem when everybody knew that nobody knew which child was coming. Satan (laughs) certainly knew something was up. Lots of activities, but it was a a bunch of um, shepherds. (laughs) And that cloud just hit me like, God can just hide anything (laughs) from the enemy.
0: Mm. So the same thing struck me, but a completely different perspective, which is so true of us. <laughs> um, I was thinking about how they're kind of hidden underneath the surface, and I was thinking about this season of winter and um, darkness that we're in. Like literally, it's, there's so much time of the day that is spent. We're about to come on the 21st of December, right? Like the darkest day of the year. And in winter, it just seems like nothing is happening, right? The leaves are gone. Um, all of the, uh, we don't have plants producing life or it doesn't look like it. But beneath the surface and the ground, um, there's so much going on. Um, and so, and we need that, right? We need this time of darkness and cold in order for, Resurrection and life to happen, and so that's what struck me. What is going on beneath the surface? And then, personally, what's going, what's God doing beneath the surface of my life right now? You know, no, that's great. That's great. Oops. That's no, good. I'll just use this. Thankfully, I had it in my hand. Yeah, beautiful. I I kept seeing the little. I don't know if you can see it because of the light, but that light blue kind of um, cloth that's around the baby John, and how it's actually connected. You can see it kind of like runs along the ridge to Mary and Joseph. So just, again, kind of the preparation of God um, to this baby connected to the coming of Jesus. I just want to conclude this by talking about the fact that we can ask the question to make room for God in our hearts. How are we making room for the kingdom of God? What kind of questions can we ask ourselves? How am I showing up in the world to make room for the kingdom to come through me? God did so much preparation to bring Jesus here. And so he's preparing our hearts. Let your heart get bigger today. Repent and believe. Um, Allow him to work through you. Believe for him to heal and to do the supernatural. And show up in the world in a way that we are agents of shalom, of bringing peace, of bringing freedom, of bringing joy into the world. So let's, let's just have a moment of prayer. Um, And and let's let us take a moment to just hear from God, release to God whatever he's saying to you about all of this, how you could make room for the kingdom. What's something even just today, this week, would make a little more room for Jesus in this season? Lord, we call upon you.